My name is Anthony P. Richards. I'm a pastor and I started this podcast channel to equip, encourage, inspire and challenge you to passionately live to your potential in Christ through the Word of God. For more information, you can go to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Welcome to another day as we continue our journey through the Word of God and we're continuing today through the wonderful book of Esther, the story of Esther. And today we are going to be going through Esther chapter 5. Now in the previous chapter in the story so far, we've seen that Esther has been told by Mordecai. Esther's inside the royal palace. Mordecai's outside the royal palace. He uses messengers to tell her, hey, Haman, He's a bad guy. He's organized for the destruction of the Jewish people in 11 months' time. And Esther says, what do I do? And they have this backwards and forwards. And Mordecai challenges her and says, you have to go to the king. And she says, I don't think you understand. If I go to the king and I'm not invited, he can kill me. Unless he, of course, extends the golden scepter to me, then I'm allowed to speak. And Mordecai says, who knows, Esther, whether you were put in that place for such a time as this. And he challenges her. And she says, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to go into the king. And she says those incredible words. She said, and if I perish, I perish. And she was determined to do the best for her people. And that's where we pick up the story in Esther chapter 5. Now it happened on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace across from the king's house. While the king sat on his royal throne in the royal house facing the entrance of the house. And so it was when the king saw Esther, Queen Esther, standing in the court, that she found favor in his sight. And king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. This is the magic moment. He could have said, no, you don't find favor. Off with her head. Onto the spike. Kill her on the gallows. He didn't do that. He extends the golden scepter to her. Then Esther went near and touched the top of the scepter. And the king said to her, what do you wish, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you up to half the kingdom. And so Esther answered, If it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come today to the banquet that I've prepared for him. The king said, Bring Haman quickly, that he may do as Esther has said. And so the king and Haman went to the banquet that Esther had prepared. So Esther shows this incredible courage. She knows she could die, but she does it anyway. And... It, it was a really bold thing because King uh, Ahasuerus, this was not a guy who was a good guy and he wasn't very wise, he wasn't smart and he could have done anything. This is a guy who commanded the water to be whipped when it wouldn't do what he wanted it to do. This He's not playing with a full deck, this guy. And she says, when he, when he asks her what she wants, very interesting that she doesn't just come out and say, well, what I want you to do is make sure that this plan that Haman came up with to kill all the Jews, and I'm a Jew, I want to make sure that doesn't come to pass. No, she doesn't do that. She's she's listening to the voice of God. She shows tact by not blurting out her request. And she wanted to win the king's confidence in her. She wanted Haman at this banquet, where it's just the king and Haman, so she could expose Haman's wickedness. She had a plan. She had a plan, which takes us on to verse 6. At the banquet of wine, the king said to Esther, So, what is your petition? It shall be granted to you. What is your request? Up to half the kingdom. It shall be done. And Esther answered and said, My petition and request 
is this. If I have found favour in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfil my request, then let the king and Haman come to the banquet which I'll prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. So King Ahasuerus has repeated this offer to Queen Esther, and he wasn't literally offering her half the kingdom. It was a it was an expression of speech. In other words, ask. There's nothing too big that you could ask for apart from taking my kingdom away from me. And she says, "I asked you to come to this banquet. You're asking me what I want. I want you to come to another banquet in another day's time." I mean, how many of us would have the ability and the wisdom? to be able to play this the way that Esther did, instead of just trying to get it all done in one go. So she puts off the request for one more day, and she says, I will promise to reveal my request at the second banquet. Now, takes us on to verse 9 of chapter 5. So Haman went out that day joyful and with a glad heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, and that he did not stand or tremble before him, he was filled with indignation against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home, and he sent and called for his friends and his wife, Zeresh. Then Haman told them of his great riches, the multitude of his children, everything in which the king had promoted him, and how he had advanced him above the officials and servants of the king. Moreover, Haman said, Besides, Queen Esther invited no one but me to come in with the king to the banquet that she prepared. And tomorrow I am again invited by her, along with the king. Yet all this avails me nothing so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. How miserable was Haman. He's being honoured by the king and the queen to, have, to come to a banquet with just him. And yet the disapproval of Mordecai somehow just robs him of any peace whatsoever. It, it just shows you that the rewards of promotion, the rewards of material things that the world offers, they're so empty. They're so empty. See, Haman had very deep-seated insecurities and he needed to be loved and honoured by everybody, which meant that he was never going to be happy because not everybody's going to love you and not everybody's going to honour you. And God designed us to have the hunger for love that's in each of us to be satisfied by Jesus. That's, that's how we are designed to be satisfied. The same thing that Haman had, we have in us before we come to Christ and Christ fulfills it. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, that we are accepted in the beloved. See, we're accepted before God because of Jesus. Now, interestingly enough, Haman did something that showed that he had a little bit of, of wisdom. He restrained himself. He saw Mordecai. It really angered him, but he restrained himself. I think this is not just wisdom that Haman had by himself. I actually think this was the hand of God operating through Haman. I think it was God giving Haman that ability to not react in that moment because God had a plan and we're about to see the plan 
play out and the pieces need to be all set in the right place for God's plan to work. And Haman had revealed in these words, yet it avails me nothing so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Uh, He had a problem with Mordecai, Haman did. And what he didn't realize is that even if he solved the Mordecai problem, he was still going to have a problem. There was still going to be an emptiness in his heart. Adam Clark said this, the soul was made for God and nothing but God can fill it and make it happy. And, and that is so true. So then it takes us on to verse 14 of this chapter, chapter 5. Then his wife, this is Haman's wife, Zeresh, and all his friends said to him, this is after he said, I will never be happy while Mordecai's at the gate. Well, then let a gallows be made. 50 cubits high, and in the morning suggest to the king that Mordecai be hanged on it. Then go merrily with the king to the banquet. And the thing pleased Haman, so he had the gallows made. Oh, this is where it's all starting to get interesting. Now, the friends of Haman kind of fed into his insecurities. They fed into his anger against Mordecai. And In their mind, it wasn't enough just to punish Mordecai or Mordecai's people. Uh, Remember, you have to remember the genocide to kill the Jews in 11 months' time, that's already been decreed. That's going to happen. Just that the king, Ahasuerus, he doesn't realise it's genocide against the Jews. He doesn't realise that. And what we have here is we have Haman having his friend say to him, listen, let's make a public spectacle out of Mordecai. Let's let's execute him in the most humiliating way possible. Let's not make a gallows just big enough to kill him. Let's make it 75 feet tall. Now, as I've mentioned in previous chapters, but I'm going to remind you again here, the gallows that are talked about here are not gallows we think of for hanging a victim. They were for violently killing and then displaying a victim. Let me read to you the definition of what the gallows meant at this time. This is from Adam Cluck. A pointed stake is set upright in the ground. The culprit is taken, placed on the sharp point, then pulled down by the legs till the stake that went in at the fundament, yes, that that place, passes up through the body and comes out through the neck. A most dreadful species of punishment in which revenge and cruelty may glut the utmost of their malice. The culprit lives a considerable time in excruciating agonies. This is what, so his friends, Haman's friends, they suggest this. Let's let's just make it really bad for Mordecai. And what what happens to Haman? This thing greatly pleases him. So he makes the gallows. Hatred is a horrible thing. It will distort and destroy. But it usually distorts and destroys the person who has the hatred. Very rarely does the object of their hatred end up as destroyed from the inside as they do. The same horrible, irrational, violent hatred that made Haman want to see Mordecai 
put on this horrible stake. Ended up being the same irrational, violent hatred that made mankind want to hang Jesus on a cross. So this story paints the picture for us of the just the evil of mankind. And it leads me to my observation of this particular chapter that we understand that hatred can only be it can only be overcome by the love of God because God is love. And it reminds us of one of the most well-known Bible verses, John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved the world that he gave his most precious gift for you and for me. And he did that because he had love, not hate. So there you go. Just wanted to share that with you. Write down, type in the comments below your observations uh, and let us know what you got out of this particular chapter. And then we, we're, we're getting set for, for how this is all going to play out. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we have an understanding that no matter the hatred of men, the love of God is always stronger. And we thank you, God, that you loved us so much that you sent your only son, Jesus, for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more content, please don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Have a great day.